morning's scripture will be from Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, 14 through 16. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thank you, Chuck, for leading that song. Um, Chuck told me he wasn't real familiar with that song, but I figure anybody that can uh, ride a Harley without getting killed can read that. So uh, appreciate it very much. Um, and appreciate everyone being here. Visitors, you are our honored guest, and we're so very grateful that um, you're here this morning and appreciate it very much. Um, you know, I, the, the reason for this lesson, and this is the title, the song that we just sang, um, is because... Um, I don't know if you'd call it due to all the unrest, all the things going on in, in the country today that, that a lot of us have not experienced before, at least firsthand, um, has caused uh, a, a number of my brothers and sisters in Christ to, to um, say things to me that kind of give gives me the idea that uh, maybe we don't understand this uh, and that we should. And I've really been looking at this and praying about this, brethren. This is one of those sermons where, you, where you know, Robbie can tell you I worked a long time this last week on this because I, I want to make sure I get it right. And, I, um, you know, and, and communication's a hard thing to do because, one, I've got to speak to you, got to listen. It, it's, it's a two-way street. Sometimes we forget that. But the gospel truly is for all. And, brethren, this is what I want to know because, because if you look at the history of the Lord's church just recently in our lifetime, in the, from, from World War II uh, up to about the early 60s, the Lord's church was winning souls. We were growing. We were bringing the lost to Jesus. We seem to understand that a lot better than we do now. And so, brethren, I wonder now, I wonder, as, as you look at the church overall today, and this isn't a blanket statement for every individual, but if you look at the Lord's church and the, and the tendency that is uh, the this way it's treading and going this today in our day and age, how, beloved, and when, when did we allow Satan to convince God's church that we are not to impact our culture for Christ? When did we allow Satan to, and this is Satan doing this, when did we allow him to convince us that we're pretty much to remain in the confines of our buildings and just fellowship with one another and have no real visible impact on our culture or in our fellow man in this world. You don't read of that kind of church in the book of Acts or in the New Testament. Brethren, listen to make no mistake about this. This is the doctrine of Satan. And therefore, since it's the doctrine of Satan, it is the uh, exact opposite of what God commands of his church. Have we forgotten this thing that we have termed the Great Commission? Or are we purposely ignoring it? I've had some even tell me, well, the Great Commission just for a few select people of God like the preachers and the elders. Brother, and that again is a devil's lie. What we have formed, I believe, just looking at the way the church has been trending in the last several years is we have pretty much developed what I would refer to as an isolated gospel. What does that mean? Y'all know what isolation means. We've been in it, right? 
for the last, what is it, been going on four months now? I forget. Seems like a long time to me. You know, we've, we've had to do social distancing and, and, uh, and, uh, and stay in your homes if you can. Don't get out in the public, you know, and everything. And if you do, you sure better not cough. You know, I'm, I mean, it, that isolation is not a good thing. Most of what we do in the Lord's church today, and this is why I call it an isolated gospel, is in-house, right? We're pretty much preaching to the choir, as we say, you know? And uh, I've, I've had somebody say, Brother Green, I wish every Sunday you'd preach on baptism. Why, brethren? And I'm not against that. I want to preach on the whole counsel of God, as the Bible says that every preacher should do, from Genesis to Revelation. I'm certainly not opposed to that. But who would I be preaching to 99.9% of the time? Those who's already heard it a bazillion times. We're not taking it out to those who need it. We have become an ice. We have, we have what we call an, what I call an isolated gospel. The majority of our time in the Lord's church today, our time, our effort, our talents, our finances are spent on us. And those who think they're not getting enough of those things, of, of, of Christian, other Christians' times and talents and, and, and not focusing on them, and if they're not getting enough attention, they'll oftentimes leave, and in my experience, when they do leave, they're going to gossip and, and spread falsehoods about those who are trying to obey God. Brethren, I don't, you know, it, it just ought not to be that way. We claim to be the New Testament church, and we're so unlike the, the, the New Testament church in the book of Acts Brother Rule Lemons, if you ever knew Brother Lemons, and I was, I was so blessed to sit at his feet sometime. Uh, old gentleman had eaten with presidents of the United States, a faithful member of the Lord's Church, helped start World Bible School, and was so, had a heart for evangelism. And he would complain that the church spends most of her time wiping, in his, in his vernacular, wiping the noses of immature Christians and running after the fallen away when we ought not to be doing that. His famous quote, and if you ever knew him at all or heard of him, you knew his famous quote, no one deserve, uh, has the right to hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once. And he said, we've got to quit doing what we're doing. We've got to put our emphasis on what God does, on what the church exists for, and that is not on us because we as Christians are supposed to die to self, amen, and then reach out to the world and bring them to Christ. And contrary to this isolation that we have pretty much done, Jesus says, you're to go. How, Lord, and where? You think something as important as that, he'll give us the, our marching order, so to speak? He does, brethren. All we got to do is open God's word. He tells us how and where we're to go in, the, in carrying out what we call the Great Commission. You know what he says? It begins at home. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Always good to begin at home. Acts 1, verse 8, when Jesus was giving his, uh, the, his apostles their, their marching orders and said, you go to Jerusalem, and, and this is the day of Pentecost is going to be coming up, the birthday of the Lord's church. We all know about that. But this is what he said is going to happen on that day. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. This is what he says. This is where it begins, both in Jerusalem, 
and then in all of Judea. Now, Judea was all the Judean world, okay? Uh, Israel, Judah, all, you know, all the Judean world. So they're going to begin at home, okay? The capital, as it were, the seat of Judaism in Jerusalem, and then that's where the temple was, and then go from there to Judea, which was all the rest of the Jew- Jewish world, and then into Samaria of all the countries of the world. Why did the Lord include Samaria next? Well, as we're going to see in a minute, if you know anything about the Jews and the Samaritans, they were mortal enemies. Hated each other. And Jesus said, that's where you're going to go next. Where you'll be least welcome. And then, he says, even to somewhere and say uttermost or remotest part of the earth, there would be no place on the face of the earth that the gospel wouldn't reach. That's our marching orders, okay? So Jesus said when he was giving the disciples their orders in Matthew 10, 6, and, and, and then chapter 15, 24, he told him there, he said, you go first to the lost sheep of the household of Israel. That's where they were to begin. God was going to begin with his chosen people, his chosen race, his people of, of, from Israel, and give them the opportunity first to go to, uh, to come to Christ. Um, just as our scripture reading uh, read a minute ago in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Brethren, can we say that? Can we truly say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? How many times have you been in a crowd and they've been just carrying on and mocking your God and using the Lord's name in vain and we just be quiet? Like somehow we're ashamed. Paul wasn't. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he gives Jesus' marching order to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, brethren, it just makes good sense, doesn't it, to go first to those who uh, we know, right? Uh, that should be, I misspelled that, and I'm sorry, that should say sense like common sense. Uh, good sense to go to the first of, to those we know. That's, that's who we should be able to have the greater impact on, right? People that we love, our, our family, our, 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 our relations, our, our people we work with, people we go to school with, people that we have a relationship with. That, that, that know us, you know. And, and so it only makes sense to do that, brethren. And, and so that's where we need to begin. But how are we doing there? Statistically, how many of us have lost family members? Family members that are not a Christian, that are not saved, that are not in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there anyone in here that does not have those? I know I do. What about our children who are, as we, our vernacular, they're born and raised in the church. According to the statistics of those in our brotherhood that keep up with these sort of things, they say half, and some say even more, of our kids who are born and raised in the church leave the church somewhere around early adulthood. Half or more. Brethren, are our hearts broken? Do we shed tears? Do we pray fervently? Do we pursue them with everything that we have? I've talked to some parents very seriously about that and said, I, you know, I, well, I, when Kathy and I went through that, boy, we thought of nothing else. We couldn't sleep. What do you do? 
and, and, and I get this, and brother, again, I'm not trying to be mean, or I'm just being honest with you this morning, and I, I get from a whole lot of folk that are faithful Christian, ah, you know, them kids are grown now, they're out of my house, what can I do? And, and there's, no, there's no tears. Beloved, we need to begin at home. We need to begin at home. And it's past time that we did so. But Christ never intended for their great commission to end there, did he? He said, that's where you begin. Told the Jews, you begin in Jerusalem. You don't stop there, brothers and sisters, and nor should we. Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, when Jesus is given what would be considered Luke's version of the Great Commission, he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's where we begin, with our own. That's where we begin. But brothers and sisters, what does the word beginning mean? If I say to somebody, this person is beginning kindergarten, does that mean after that one year they're through with school? We understand that there's, there's something beyond beginning, okay? And so then we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that the gospel is for all, as we just sang. The Great Commission, if you look at the, the two main verses we look at for the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of <coughs> those you know. Make disciples of your own circle of friends. What do you say, brethren? Mm-hmm. All nations. You, you don't even need to have me to describe the word all, Right? Mark 16, 15, again in Mark's account, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? Unless there be any doubt, the Bible talks about the gospel being a universal gospel, okay? Universal means for everyone, right? Uh, Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the, or in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And then you go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 14, verse 6. John says, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel. The gospel is as relevant today, brothers and sisters, as it was in the first century. It is eternal. You're having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. How many of us live on the earth? We've been blessed to live in a mighty good part of it, too. And to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. I mean, that is, that is everybody. And brothers and sisters, and, and, and the reason I bring this up is because of some things I've heard from Christians lately. That means even those not like us. Brother Green, you're going to start meddling. I'm going to preach, brethren. Even those who are not like us. See, the problem that we've developed in the Lord's church, brothers and sisters, is that we good sinners. We just don't want to associate and reach out to those people we consider to be bad sinners. See, we don't say we all have we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says, right? Now we, we break it down, right? We we kind of put it in two different categories. 
How do I know that? Because I'll, I'll be talking about somebody, and, and somebody say, well, Brother Reed, I know I ain't perfect, but I ain't like them folk. Are we all sinners? Do we all need God's grace and love and mercy and compassion? Do we all need to avail ourselves to the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross for us? We are. We good sinners just don't want to associate with them. They're bad sinners. And we can we name them, brethren. We, we've categorized it, right? We've categorized it. We, we can name who those bad sinners are. Um, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, you know. I've had people just say to me, Brother Green, you just don't understand. I just cannot stand those people's lifestyle. I can't stand their worldview. I can't stand the way they think. I mean, everything I think they are diametrically opposed to. I mean, if I say something's good, they'll say it's bad. If I say something's bad, they'll say it's good. I mean, we just are polar opposites, you know. And I just can't stand to be around them. I do my best to avoid them like the Jews used to do with the Samaritans and vice versa. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, part of the Godhead, our example, no one despises sin more than God. We cannot. I hope as Christians we despise sin. The Bible wants us to do that. We cannot despise it to the way that God does. So what God on earth, God incarnate, God in the flesh do while he was here as far as sin was concerned. Matthew 9, 9 through 13, y'all know this. And Jesus went out from there. He saw a man called Levi sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. The Bible says in other, in other gospels, he left everything and followed him, okay? Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, who house? Again, read the other accounts of the gospel. <coughs> Matthew throws a great feast for Jesus, and he invites all of his friends. Who's his friends? Fellow tax collectors and sinners. People, good people in that day and age didn't hang around with these folks. Brothers and sisters, a tax collector was the scum of the scum. He was a traitor to God's people. He enriched himself up by, by taking advantage by the power of the Roman nation, which had enslaved the Jews practically. And, and so he was a turncoat traitor, a Benedict Arnold in the worst kind of way. And so he throws this great feast for Jesus. He had other people's money to do it with and Jesus goes and he takes his disciples. And when and many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. That's close fellowship. Okay? And so when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? They, they were just, I mean, no, no. That's a horrible thing to do. But when Jesus heard it, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. This is why he came, brothers and sisters, right? Go on. Um, he says, uh, but you go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. He's quoting their Old Testament. For I did not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's the whole point of the gospel, brothers and sisters. And I'm afraid that we, like the Pharisees, I wonder if there's some modern-day Pharisees, because I think we've missed that whole point. 
We say, whoa, why, why do you want to mess with those folks? You know the story of the Good Samaritan. And brethren, we don't have time to read every one of these accounts today. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30, and, and you understand Jesus is trying to, because these lawyers try to trick him, and they say, well, who's my neighbor? Who's really my neighbor? And Jesus answers them, and, and he tells them straight up, and he gives a really good parable illustration to illustrate his point. And he said there was a guy, you know, going from Jericho to Jerusalem, he falls in the hands of robbers. Y'all know the story. He gets beat mostly to death, you know, left for dead on the side of the road. You know, the priest of Levite, the, the religious folk of the day, walk on the other side of the road, wouldn't have anything to do with it. He says, but a Samaritan. Why not use any, uh, not, why not, a, a, you know, an, an, an Arab or any other of the nations and the people that were in, in the world at that time? He purposely says a Samaritan. Beloved, there was a, there was a deep, deep hatred between these two groups. It was not just racial. These Samaritans years ago, half-breed Jews, had betrayed their own people to heathen nation, and they never got over it. And these two groups of people hated each other as deeply as anybody can hate today. And so Jesus purposely uses their enemy and says, he's the one who took care of this man. Who's my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? And, the, and they were forced to say, well, the one who took care of the guy, right? And he said, what? <coughs> you go and do likewise. Brothers and sisters, uh, we see the same thing with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You remember that? And, uh, and, and the Bible tells us there that Jesus told his disciples, uh, well, he didn't tell us the disciples, the, the scripture says there in John 4 that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. You know he did not have to. The Jews hated the Samaritans so bad that they had built a bypass around Samaria so they wouldn't even have to go. They would go several miles on foot around the city so they didn't have to deal with any of these people. Wanted absolutely nothing to do with them. Jesus had, the Bible says, to go through Samaria. Why? Because he knew there'd be a woman coming up to the well. And, and what about this woman? What kind of woman is she, okay? Uh, the Bible says she was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was an immoral woman. Three strikes against her in that day and age. And so, what does he say to her? Makes a very simple request. He simply says to her, would you give me a drink? She, verse 9, was in shock. Why would you be in shock? Here's a woman at a well. She has a means to draw water. Why would you be in shock if someone just made a simple little request like that? She said to him, you know what, you are a Jew, and you're asking me, a woman and a Samaritan, to give you a drink? Don't you know, her words, that the Jews and the Samaritans have no dealings with one another? That was, that was putting it lightly. And yet Jesus made a point to be there and to convert that woman. Beloved, we know about Peter's refusal to convert at first someone not like us. According to Cornelius' household, God had said, even in the Old Testament, that there would come a time when the gospel was going to be offered to the Gentile as well. Jewish Christians refused to believe that. God had to give Peter a vision from heaven and had to repeat it three times before he got the point. 
And so he finally goes, and <clears throat> he goes reluctantly, and he sits in the house of Cornelius and his household, a Roman centurion, and he's not even by his reckoning supposed to be there. You see what verse 28 said? And he said to them, this is Peter talking, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And then he goes on to say, in verses 34, 35, open his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Do we understand that, brothers and sisters? Look at the church at Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, it was a seaport city. Corinth was the Solomon Gomorrah of its day. I mean as immoral as it could be. Every kind of sin you could think of was practiced there and celebrated there and practiced openly and pushed upon you. <clears throat> Sailors from all over the world would go to Corinth and get there, and you know the reputation of sailors and <clears throat> what they would do. And so Paul starts a church right in the center of this <clears throat> very ungodly people. Let me take this. Some of you are going to get scared. Mm-hmm. Y'all, I, I can say that about sailors because I've known some. <laughs> Again, not a blanket statement. There's been some good Christian sailors, okay? But in this day and age, of course, y'all understand the situation. And, and so Paul has an ex, a very successful congregation there in the city of Corinth. And he says to the Corinthians, Christians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's true. They won't. And then he names several that were practicing in this city. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, Y'all like being around uh, active fornicators? You know, I've had cousins that just, whoo, come in with a different woman on their arm every week, man, and brag about their exploits, you know. Just makes you, you want to be, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, the effeminate, the homosexuals, thieves, the covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, None of these, he says, will inherit the kingdom of God. But look, he didn't stop there, didn't he? He didn't, he didn't but, but such were, past tense, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Brothers and sisters, these people used to be that way. Why and how are they now in Christ and saved from those sins? It's because somebody in the church at Corinth left their comfort zone and went out in this despicable den of sin to convert these bad sinners and to impact their culture. That's the way God wants us to do, brethren. It's the sick who need the physician. We've, we are, I'm, I'm afraid we've been on a dividing wall. Look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. You'll need to turn there. I didn't want Robbie, bless his heart, to have to type all this out. That's why God gives us his word, and it's a marvelous thing. 
the Apostle Paul's been talking about the, the Jew and the Gentile coming to Christ together. And understand, brethren, again, there's great animosity here. And he says in verse 11, Therefore remember that, that uh, formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called this uh, uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you, meaning the Gentiles, were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. In other words, they were as lost as they could be. But now, meaning currently, under the new covenant, which we still remain under, but now in Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, listen to verse 14, brethren, don't let this pass by us. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What do we allow to divide us? <clears throat> How did he do this? Verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself <coughs> he might make the two into one new man, and thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both into one body, that's the church, to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity that was between these two groups. Verse 17, he came and preached to those who were far away, that's the Gentile, and to those who are near, that's the Jew. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, again added to his church. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ died on a cross so that Everybody can be saved, and everybody added to the Lord's church, his kingdom. We say one church, one kingdom. So if, if you're saved, you all got to be added to that. And Jesus died on a cross to make that possible. I fear there are those who are rebuilding the wall that Jesus died to tear down. It ought not to be that way. So what have I tried to say this morning? Here's the conclusion. The lesson is yours. To be faithful and obedient to God and his word, we need to obey the Great Commission. We need to start doing that. How do we do that? We begin at home, then take it to everyone, and that everyone includes those that are, quote, not like us. So let me say this. This is the gospel that's for all. I want everybody to understand, whether you're in this building or not, whoever you are, Whatever you have done, Jesus Christ died for you so you can be saved. And we here, no matter who you are or what you've done, we would be honored to share that gospel with you while we stand in song.